Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Are you ready to get down with some D&D? I know I am, and I'm joined, as I am always joined, by the memorable, miraculous, and meticulous Mad Wizard Merwin. What is up, Sean? Oh, not too much. I'm, I'm a little little sad, but a little excited, but a little happy, all those things. Lots of emotions, Chris, lots of emotions. Well, well why are you feeling all of these emotions? Well, I'm sad because I, I won't be able to go to QCC this year. Is it because you're locked in a tower? It is not because I'm locked in a tower. Well, I might be locked in a tower by the time I'm done. I'm going to Las Vegas with my brothers. Ah. So we may end up locked in police station, tower, you know, whatever. <laughs> uh, but So that's why I'm sad. But I'm excited because I get to, you know, spend some time with them in, in, the Sin, in Sin City. And I'm also thankful because uh, yesterday I was able to do an AMA and ask me anything for NukeCon on Facebook. So I spent two hours answering questions from people about D&D Adventures League, what, what's going on at NukeCon, uh, which is the first weekend in October. So it was great to be able to do that. I wanted to thank the people that set that up for uh, for hosting. Are you going to be at NukeCon? I will be at NukeCon. Yes, I will. Where is NukeCon? NukeCon is in Omaha, Nebraska. Wow. Are, are, that's yeah. That's a bit of a hike for you. A little bit of a hike. A couple, a couple of plane rides, but I'll be there uh, the whole time from Friday, uh, as soon as it opens, I hope, until uh, Sunday night. That's cool. Going to be running some D&D? Running some D&D, maybe running some play tests of things that I'm working on that I can't discuss quite yet, but maybe we'll be able to then. Maybe some other games. Who knows? Very cool. That sounds like a really good time. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. All right. Let's get into some news and announcements before we get to our main topic. Uh, Lauren Urban is named the D&D Beyond Community Manager. Want to tell me about that? Yeah, so D&D Beyond, the online content site, was looking for a new community manager, and they just announced that um, Lauren was their choice. You might know her as Crazy Oboe on Twitter, and she is the DM on the Dungeon Drunks podcast, and she's also appeared on some of the other podcasts and if you do watch any of the twitch shows you probably have come across her because she is the volunteer manager for the D twitch channel that's pretty cool yep so welcome lauren to D beyond and we look forward to seeing what you and all of D beyond will be doing in the upcoming year so apparently we're still waiting on who's going to be the community manager for the DMs Guild. This is true. Um, as we announced, I think, a couple of weeks ago that the DMs Guild was looking for a new community manager. The one they had, who everyone thought was doing an excellent job, had to step away for personal reasons. So they put up a, a post saying, we are looking for a community manager. And I know a lot of people applied. Um, people are now just starting to hear back with the rejections. And the posting was removed from their website and replaced with this message. We have had an overwhelming response to our recent DMs Guild community manager listing. We are not currently accepting applications for this position as we conduct interviews with potential candidates. And it's a work-from-home job. 
that probably pays decently. So, you know, you get to work with D&D for your job from home. That's pretty cool. And yeah, I'm so I'm sure a lot of people applied and I'm looking forward not only to who they choose, but you know, what's going to be new with the DM's Guild going forward because they've, you know, they've got a pretty good site. They've got a pretty good gig going, being the official place where you can buy these D&D products. So I'm hoping that they're able to up their game a bit, see some new things from them, new offerings uh, in, the, in the coming months and years. Yeah, that would be a, a – I'm curious too. So, I mean, hopefully whoever the new one, the new person is, I, I hope well, – we'll find out when we do. We'll let you all know. And then, of course, you know, we'll wish them the best and hopefully maybe try to get them on the show at some point. Absolutely. Uh, Maze of the Shadows on the DM's Guild. So this is an adventure on the DM's Guild. It is uh, in Schult. Yeah, do you want to tell people about it? Yeah, it's a an adventure by Rich Lescuflair, who we've had on the show before. Um, it is a Tier 3 adventure, and it's the sequel to some of the other adventures that have been up, including Heart of the Wild and The Risen Mist. Um, those other two that I just mentioned are legal for the Adventures League, so I'm working under the assumption that this will be a illegal at some point. Uh, it's set in Chult, as you said. Here's the blurb. A force of darkness and corruption seeps into the jungles of Chult, defying the once eternal spirits that gave life to the land. Left unchecked, this vile power will extend beyond the jungle lands to pervade the entirety of the realms. Seeking to restore the lost city of Mesro and its immortal protectors, a band of adventurers is bound by destiny to either restore the balance or be consumed by their own dark fates. Mm, that sounds like a really and cool uh, adventure. Yeah, I, I did the editing on it, and it just went up today, so uh, check it out if you so choose. And the last thing is the DM's Guild Everon Loremaster bundle. So this is, you get a, a number of books for $34 instead of $85. You get the uh, campaign setting for 3rd edition, the Fates of Eberron book for 3rd edition, the Secrets of Zendrix book for 3rd edition, the Secrets of Sarlona book for 3rd edition, and then the Campaign Guide and Player's Guide for 4th edition. This is correct. Uh, these books are all really, if you like setting books, like all of these books are really solid. There's not... There's a lot more um, word count that is not stat block associated or or rules associated than than not in these books. I would say in a lot of cases it's like seventy thirty for the for like Fates of Run Secrets of Sarlona and Secrets of Zendrix. Mm -hmm. um, so if you're a big Eberron fan and you want all the the setting stuff, like this is a great place to to jump in and grab it. Yep, if you've downloaded the Wayfinder's Guide to Eberron and you want more and you need, especially if you're a DM and you want to start creating your own stories, these are the books you want from previous editions that will uh, give you the information you're looking for. You know what's weird that's not in this bundle? What's the that? City of Towers book. Yeah, well, I think probably because Sharn is so, uh, Sharn is the focus of the Wayfinder's Guide. So I assume that they just want you to go with that, whereas the rest of the setting in the Wayfarer's Guide is not super detailed. So this is the place where you can get that information on Zendrick and Sarlona. That makes sort of sense. I mean, I really like the, yeah. the City of Towers book. It's a really good book. That's oh, why. Yeah, I think I think it's a great book. I'm not saying it doesn't belong. I think that's why they left it out. That's that all. makes that makes perfect sense. Um, all right. Anything else you want to talk about? Or should we move on to our main topic? I am ready to talk about our main topic, Chris. All right, let's talk about Dragon Marks. So we're going to go to Eberron, talk about some Dragon Marks. So let's 
first get into, uh, I'll let you know how we're going to do this, folks, today. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about our general thoughts. We're going to talk about their story. We're going to talk about their design. And then we're going to talk about a couple of them in specific, or several of them in specific. So let's. Uh, what are your general thoughts about Dragon Mark, Sean? When Eberron came out for third edition, I thought Dragon Marks were a perfect example of the best that D&D offers in terms of role-playing game story elements. Um, we've talked about this before when we've talked about designing rules. If you want to design a good rule, it should A, fit well into the system in the setting, right? Two, be fun to play. Mm-hmm. And three, be good and solid mechanically. Yeah. And I think for third edition, Dragon Marks hit all of those marks. Um, they were a great addition to the setting for social reasons, economic, personal, political, you know, this, this sort of mysterious air that they had. But mechanically, they were well placed within that third edition rule set because the feat structure was a perfect nestling place for them, um, making them easy to manage as an extra rule without making them too powerful. You know, sometimes a, a new setting will come and they will try to add a new rule. And so they'll put it on top of everything else. What they were able to do with Dragon Marks in 3rd Edition was use the feat system to just meld them in seamlessly. Yeah. Um, and then the prestige classes of 3rd Edition worked well, too. So you could have things like a Dragon Mark Heir or the Heir of Sybaris as prestige classes. Again, a structure that was already set in the rules that just accepted this new system very well. Um, in 4th edition, I think they were handled a little less gracefully because feats were a, a little bit different, um, and they still tried to handle them through through feats and paragon paths. Mm-hmm. So it was it was okay, but it wasn't as great. And the background for the houses, not just the dragon mark, but the houses that go along with them, are, are, ab- are absolutely um, great in the setting and vital to the setting. So I think my experience with dragon marks up until fifth edition which we'll talk about in a minute was they're great yes i uh i actually don't have much to add to that because everything that you said i would echo so i mean there you go like i'm for for those of you who listen to me on this podcast and other podcasts i'm a big like your mechanics and your 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 uh narrative should kind of like mesh in some way shape or form and what sean says is pretty accurate these things mesh really well and we'll talk about fifth edition and their implementation a little bit later Mm mm-hmm so let's talk about their story. So what are dragon marks? So these are magical marks that certain people and bloodlines of different races have been given. Uh, they might have something to do with the draconic prophecy. Uh, they might not. That is really kind of up to you in your game, although it is implied that they have something to do with the draconic prophecy. And the they give you power that gives uh, the, the bearers of these marks access to magical abilities and just general abilities that most people don't have, but it's always in the in the form of some sort of magical manifestation. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and this is what they represent in the world of Eberron. Um, the people with these marks have leveraged these these powers into business opportunities and created houses which function a lot like like guilds or mega corporations. And they've created these enterprises around these marks that they have. Mm-hmm. And when the campaign is assumed to start. Timeline-wise, these, cor- these these dragon-marked houses are so large and powerful that they have as much influence or more um, over the world than other countries. And they also have their own agendas, their own plots, their intrigues, things like that. So they are they are powerful guilds or corporations or or p- political entities, but they're not allowed to own land or things like that. It's they're very interesting because of of that and how this magical mark has turned into sort of a megacorp. 
Mm-hmm. And I think they're very vital to the setting because if you have this sort of noir setting, um, political intrigue is great, but if you can add another layer of this business corporate intrigue on top of it, um, then you have just one more thing where you never know who the the bad guy is or the power behind some sort of plot is. Is it the nation? Is it the the dragon marked house? Is it both? Are they in cahoots or are they competing against each other? You know, it's it's all it's all part and parcel to that feel, that noir feel that Eberron brings. Yeah, and it's all that like everyone has different kinds of vested interests and, and whatnot. Like mm-hmm. you uh you don't it's not about good or evil, it's about can I get my uh in some cases it's like can I have my uh my bottom line be raised up a little bit, right? Like am I gonna is my company going to be in the black this uh this quarter and you know, can I can I do I have to do something duplicitous to get there? Do I care about that? Am I a decent business person or do I even care about that? Like you can ask mm-hmm. all those questions then. Right. Anything else you want to say about the story? No, I think that is a very good general uh, intro to what dragon marks bring in terms of the, those dragon marked houses. All right. Well, let's talk about the general design of them then. So in this current implementation, uh, which is found in the wayfinders guide to Eberron, they don't use them as feats this time. Um, they use them through variant race or sub races. So, uh, what do you think about that, Sean? I, I'm kind of split on this. I understand why they do it because feats are optional in fifth edition, mm-hmm. um, and sometimes they're not well balanced against each other. So, you, you know, doing them doing them as feats is more difficult. Whereas everyone needs to choose a race and a sub-race. So it, that makes it fit better into the, uh, you know, the existing rules paradigm. I don't like the idea that because you have this dragon mark as a lightfoot halfling, suddenly you don't have the other abilities that you used to have. Which is basically what's happening, right? As a lightfoot halfling, you can now no longer hide, say... Um, behind a larger ally in battle because you have a dragon mark. Well, I don't think so, you're a lightfoot halfling at that point in time. You're just a halfling that happens to be part of House Jurasco. Yeah, exactly. Yes, you, you are correct. And, yeah, that's, that's you're right. Yeah, I mean, I'm. Uh, if I mean, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to like jump on you there. Or that like, no, 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 no. That, you're you're absolutely right. It just it feels weird to me. It feels. I don't know, it just feels strange that, that you can have Lightfoot Halflings and Stout Halflings and House Jurasco Halflings. To, to me, the... Um, see, the Lightfoot Halflings, like, I don't even think that stuff fits... When you start talking about Halflings like that, like, I don't even think the Halflings fit that way in Eberron. So, like, that's that's a thing for me, right? Like, um, that's just a power set. Because and to me, the Halflings in Eberron, they're either from House Jurasco or they're, you know, from the Talenta Plains. So right. I wouldn't even call them that. And if they do, I think that's like a shift that people should be making anyway in their games. But um, from des- from a design point, like, I don't have a problem with them being um, variant races. I think it's hard to design from, and, as, and I, 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 I think it's hard to design them as, as um, sub-races. And we'll talk about that in a little while, I'm sure, about how, like, some of these sub races are, are aren't very like 
they don't look like fun to play or and they don't look like mm-hmm. they're they don't do a whole lot for um for the for the game if you ask me it doesn't make you feel like you're like a member of that house um yeah mechanically so i don't i guess some in some cases the mechanics to me just don't make it make me feel like i'm like it's worth putting it on there to tell the narrative of being a member of that house right and the the other thing the other thing that Aberon says specifically, and it said this in every edition, is if it's in D and D, it's in Aberon. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I I would agree with you if you said let's just remove Lightfly halflings. Period. We'll have the the stout halflings that live uh, in Talenta, right? And and then we'll have the Jurasco, and those will be the two sub races. But when you try when you make the claim, if it's in D and D, it's in Aberon then you have to follow through on that. So, you know, it's it's not a huge thing and all of the little nitpicks I have here that that we're going to go through, I think it does a fine job as is. Um it's just maybe not as elegant as it could be if it if it was thought through a little bit more. Yeah, that that is a thing. And and luckily like they can keep adjusting this stuff, right? Cuz it's not Absolutely. Cuz like the the strong was it strong heart halflings right like those could be the talented right. plains halflings and then lightfoot halflings could be like those are the urban halflings like those are the ones who live in urban areas and whatnot or right. or, or don't live in the talented plains or have like moving out of the talented plains to become you know city folk and then mm-hmm. the jurassic halflings are just jurassic halflings yeah and and I I can understand because you know you you want these dragon marks not to completely cage in the type of character you can make. You know, if you have a mark of healing, you don't want that to mean every halfling that has the mark of healing has the exact same abilities. You know, you want to be able to play an assassin with the mark of healing or a warlock with the mark of healing. Um, so it's, you know, it's it's a tricky it's just a tricky road to, to travel. And I think this is, it's a fine job, you know, for, for a pass that's, going to hopefully um, evolve as people play test it and, and discuss it. Yeah, strangely enough, I think because of the um, that making them, instead of making them feats, because feats are optional in this game, making them uh, races, variant races, like, I think that's actually more more doable. Like, the thing mm-hmm. that you just said, like, you can play this as whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. I mean, it, it may or may not work better in certain situations, but um, it, it still it, it doesn't. I don't think it harms those those uh, those choices as much as it might have in the past, especially mm-hmm. for lower levels. Yeah. Blah. So, what do you want to do next? Oh, so we were talking about variant races, um, uh-huh. and the other thing that um, you get when you take a dragon mark is what they call the intuition die. So this is straight from the rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, each dragon mark has a trait that allows you to roll an intuition die, a D4, when you perform an ability check with a particular skill or tool. You add the number rolled to the ability check. You don't have to be proficient with the skill or tool to gain this benefit. So depending on what dragon mark you take for your character, uh, you get to add this intuition die to a limited number limited maybe to one, two or three different skills or tools. Um, what do you think about that? I actually love this rule a lot. Like, I think okay. this is probably the, the thing to me that sets aside dragon marks from a lot of other things in, uh, in the game. And 
this idea of the intuition die or the the die for the skill check um it well it does a couple of things um one it's it was there before like they've been they've been using this in playtest and whatnot for since the since before the game was actually a game so like this is i'm gonna stop, i'm gonna stop you there they they didn't do this specifically they did roll a proficiency die rather than having a static proficiency bonus. That's what yeah. you're talking about, right? Yeah, okay. I mean, but but this idea of, like, having an extra die for your skill checks and things like that, it's been around for a while. And um, it, they even have the, the mod in the game where, like, if you don't want to use modifiers to skill checks, you can use dice for skill checks. I'm pretty sure it's in the mm-hmm. Dungeon Masters guy. I think we actually talked about it once. Yep. Um, but taking this and adding it as, like, this extra magical thing, it feels cool because I'm like, I'm going to take this D4 because it's my dragon mark doing this for me. So I can actually see how much my dragon mark is magically assisting me in this situation. Um, I, I think I like that a lot. Uh, when we want when we talk about dragon marks, I'll talk about how I don't like it. But that's or the, not dragon marks, greater dragon marks. I'll talk about how I don't like that because it's okay. because of how it's implemented. <laughs> okay. See, I'm going to go the opposite way here. I don't like the extra die um, because I think it just adds something that the game itself is trying to avoid, which is extra dice, um, and. I loved the idea of rolling a proficiency die rather than having a static modifier. But once the game went with that static modifier, I would rather just see you gain your proficiency bonus when you're using this. If you already have your proficiency bonus, uh, you have advantage on the roll or you add your proficiency bonus again um, just just to keep with the rest of the game. You know, I would actually and, disagree with that. That's I know. The, no, that statement That's okay. that you made um, about the game trying not to add extra dice. Mm-hmm. Or I think the game is trying to not add extra modifiers. That's why we have advantage. Right. Um, so, And that's also why Bless doesn't give a static modifier. It lets you add a D4. All, right. Uh, also, it doesn't... Um, another spell, the one that lets you... Uh, that gives you gives you a, a bonus or whatever on your next uh, your next skill check or whatever. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, guidance. Guidance. That gives you a D4 also, right? I believe it's either that or advantage. Yeah, so it, no, it gives you it's it's a D four for guidance. Okay. Um, so there's a lot of places in the game where they're adding an extra die to your roll rather than uh, rather than a modifier. Right, and there are a lot of places that aren't that don't. There, and one of the places that don't is with your race. That's true. Um, where or your class, where it says you know if, if you take this background or if you are this sub race or sub race uh you gain proficiency with this skill or this tool Mm -hmm. and if you are already proficient for any reason uh add your proficiency bonus again or gain advantage instead i know i know why now it's not like um twigging me out like the way it is you it seems like to me a lot of times when they when they do design in this game and it's magical it's often granting um advantage or a die Yep. So I think they're just playing off of that that design philosophy, mm-hmm. like, oh, it's magic, so we're going to add a die. Yep. Maybe. And and like I said before, I I'm not like I hate this. This is horrible. Uh, it's just not the design decision I would have made. That's sure because uh, adding extra dice is not the thing that you would prefer. You prefer the modifier, right? Right. And j- just yeah, and and the, the point you make is good too. Whereas if with spells and stuff, they are giving you extra dice, and if they're counting this as magical then showing that extra die um, shows the magical part of it. So, you know, either way, it's just uh, just something that caught my attention. Yeah. The greater dragon mark is what throws me off because it's handled as a feat, so I can't ever get a greater dragon mark if I'm not playing with feats. True. And that drives me crazy. Like, yep. you already took the time 
to design this where it didn't have to be handled via via feats. And then you make it so that if you want to advance your dragon mark to a greater dragon mark, you have to take a feat. Mm-hmm. So that's frustrating to me. Yep. So, I mean, you'll just, obviously, as a DM, you'll just have to say, I'm going to allow feats, or in this case, I will allow you to take this feat. Yeah. Instead um, of getting your but... bonus from, from ability scores at level 8, you can you can have the greater dragon mark instead. That'll be the place right. where I give you the choice. Yep. Uh and the creative dragon marks they do some neat things too. Like, you get a, a the die of your intuition dice increases by one, like to a d six. Um, you can increase an ability score. Um, and then you get some spells, which some of them are really good and flavorful, and some of them are not. <laughs> yep, yeah, it's it's true, and that's one of the weird things that's always been there for dragon marks. Um, going even back to third edition was, you know, you have certain ones that are very noticeable in combat let's put it that way or noticeable in some of the most prolific aspects of the game and then some of them are less so like how civis is all about the message right sending messages and and uh so you know that's something that would be less noticeable than say this the mark of storm yeah where you where you blow things up because like you know in Civis, if you get the greater dragon mark, you get sending in tongues. Right. Which can be handy, but not when you're standing in front of a dragon trying to fight it. Yeah, I mean, tongues is the more useful spell. I mean, sending is too in some way, shape, or form, but tongues is the more useful spell for, like, talking to people and whatnot. Um, I mean, we could... We're going to talk about the... We're going to talk about some, some of these dragon marks in... in and not all of them, but um, but like when we talked about, I was on um Michael Benensky's podcast, Metagame Moments. We we went through every single one of these, and ah. and Civis is uh Civis is exactly what you think it is, man. It is all about communication. There's nothing about that that mark that is uh, it's all very very flavored to it. But there's nothing about that mark that is necessarily good for um for being in the middle of a fight. But luckily, right, you know, Eberron isn't always about being in the middle of a fight. Like if you are the uh, the explorer out in the jungles of Zendrix and you have some civis stuff like you can probably read everything that you need to read yeah and and that's if you as the dm make that important then you give that player who chose the civis dragon mark a chance to shine and make it come in handy yeah absolutely anyways uh that's just a, a real quick thing so um is there anything you wanted to say about the greater dragon marks uh, no, as you said, they, they, they can only take them through a feat. It increases your intuition die from a D4 to a D6. Um, you get to increase one ability score, the one that's closely associated with whatever, with whatever dragon mark you took by one. And then you get to learn a set of spells, which you can usually cast once per long rest, uh, based on the power of the mark. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much how they work. They're 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 yep. good. I actually, I, I mean, if they weren't a feat, I'd actually like them for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, the aberrant dragon mark is also handled as a feat, which I actually really like. The aberrant dragon marks quite a bit. Um, it's just that if you want, to, if somebody wants to play one, you have to be using feats in your game. So like, you have to start making exceptions about who's playing with what rules and whatnot if you want to. Although this is another one we can just be like, well, if you want an aberrant dragon mark, like the only feats we're using are dragon marks, right? Like sure. that's it. Yeah. So that should be a thing, everybody. Just think about that. Like, just use if you're gonna if you, if you don't want to use all the other feet stuff because I'm not a huge fan of feats in in fifth edition D and D. It's not my preferred way to play. Right. But I would I would more than I would completely allow people to use 
the dragon marks, so I would make those exceptions. Yep. So with the aberrant dragon mark, you increase your constitution score by one. Uh, you get to take a cantrip from the sorcerer's spell list. And uh, charisma, I believe, is the... Uh, I'm sorry, constitution is the ability that you use for those spells. Mm-hmm. And as a, a little extra bonus, when you use that spell, you can spend one of your hit dice to increase the level that you cast it by one. But once you do, you roll that hit die and you take damage equal to the number rolled. I, I love that. Mm-hmm. There's nothing. Yeah, I'm on the. Oh, god. There's nothing I don't love about that. But that's the kind of design that I enjoy. So. Yeah, I'm I'm on the fence about using hit dice to power other things, and I understand why it's done, and I've done it before in my own design, because that's one of the few things where there's a resource that you can use that's not already tied up somewhere else. Um, I just, I'm one of those people that fears then that every new thing will start using hit dice, and... Um, you start running out of hit dice as a character if you're not careful. Yeah, see, that's a th- you're not wrong about that. Like worrying that everything else is going to use hit dice. If I'm just going to take this in a vacuum, I think this mm-hmm. is this is really clever design. Um, one, it oh, means yeah. anyone can use a dragon, an aberrant dragon marker. Hit dice are a universal resource, right? Mm-hmm. Um, two, because it's aberrant and it's dangerous, it's tied to your con score because only the yep. tougher and more more hardy people can actually bear these things and survive wearing them. Yep. And and two, like you're actually draining your life energy to utilize the power of them. All of that strength. Yeah, it's super, that super flavorful, really cool. But you're not wrong. Like, if um, if you're not doing those things in your design for for utilizing hit dice, then I'm very much not interested in that. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I yeah. if it ain't flavorful, I don't really care. Like, yeah. I, I mean, I uh, that's the only reason I like it so much is because it's really like they they did a really good job and really thoughtful job in tying it to your uh, your toughness factor. Absolutely. I think you're completely right on that. And just for flavor, uh, flavor-wise, an aberrant dragon mark is a dragon mark that manifests itself on you, but it's not tied to one of the dragon marked houses. So it's kind of a mutation. Uh, so people are a little bit wary of them. Uh, if you're wearing one, you may get strange looks and or uh, <laughs> avoided slash attacked. Not necessarily on site, but you are definitely um, looked at askance. Uh, yeah, I mean, like one of the worst things that happened in the history of uh, of of Breland and and the houses uh, was when an, an aberrant marked person like started gathering other aberrant marked people to their banner, and like they went on like a they had like a rebellion. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like so, that's a thing, right? Like so, aberrant dragon marks, aside from them being sometimes dangerous and unstable also have that history tied to them which makes people yeah. look at you askance so it's not just a uh it's not just uh you have this magic that's dangerous thing or viewed as dangerous it's also there's a history to it with um a bit of propaganda tied to it mm-hmm. yep so lots of good flavor uh aside from the mechanics with the aberrant dragon mark mm-hmm. all right we're going to talk each about two dragon marks to show off some of the design of them and how they're slightly different and how they can be good and terrible at the same time, how they can be good <laughs> and terrible. Uh, which ones do you want to talk about? Or which I want to start. Yeah, you, I want to talk about the halfling ones because halflings. Yeah. You, you like halflings? You halfling fan? I do. I do. All right. So I was going to start with the mark of healing, which is house Jurasco. So, uh, you know, so this house has cornered the market on the healing skills. They run hospitals, um, wards, places like that. 
Um, in terms of mechanics, when you take the Mark of Healing, you are first taking the Halfling race, but then instead of a different sub-race, you are taking the House Jurasco Mark of Healing uh, sub-race. So your Wisdom score increases by one. You have a, a uh, ability called Medical Intuition. When you make a Wisdom Medicine check, you can roll one Intuition die, a D4, and add that number to the ability check. Now, what I noticed here is that they're tying that they're tying the uh, check not just to a skill, but also to a to an attribute, to an ability, um, which I would get rid of immediately. That would be the first change I made all across all of these boards. Is just say when you make a medicine check rather than a wisdom medicine check um, to separate that in case for some reason your DM asks you to make a different sort of medicine check, an intelligence medicine check, or a dexterity medicine check if you're operating. Um, that would uh, then make that D4 a little bit more usable across the board. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they just did that because it's like the standardized way that people are expected to use skills, right? Like, I'm with yep. you, though. I, w I would just let people, if they're going to make a medicine check, let them add that D4. Yep. So think about uh, that, everybody. That, <laughs> yeah, just just a, just a tiny thing. Um, if you are DMing it, don't, don't tie it to both the attribute and the skill. Just let the skill do... Um, bear that weight and then the other ability they have is healing touch as an action you can draw power from your dragon mark to spend one of your hit dice are we seeing a theme and revitalize yourself or a creature you touch roll the die add your wisdom modifier and the creature gains a number of hit points equal to the total once you use this trait you cannot use it again until you finish a short or a long rest all right so you know you can you can lay on hands for for a bit and use a hit die yeah i like that I think it's themey, and it also it's got that, like you're not actually uh, the magic from the mark is actually draining your life to heal somebody else, mm -hmm. which yep. which flavorfully makes a lot of sense. Um, yep. And this is a sub race. Correct. Yeah, like these, and you have to like folks that are listening to this, like there's a big difference in what a mark gives you from a sub race and what a mark gives you from replacing the 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 entirety of your race, because mm -hmm. there's a there's a power thing there because aside from getting this stuff you're still getting all the stuff that you would normally get from being a halfling right yeah from from the not from the sub race but from the main from race. the main race yeah lucky yep all that. um you want me to do one first you do one all right so i want to talk about mark and sentinel because i love house Denneth. it is my uh, is my favorite house and then my second favorite house is of course the uh the the house of making uh uh the canneth i love me some decanneth Mm -hmm. But um, so Dennis, so the mark of the Sentinel trait. So you're going to get your uh, your strength and your wisdom scores are both going to increase by one. And in, in addition, you can choose an ability score of your choice to increase by one. So you have some flexibility there. I like that quite a bit. Um, Sentinel's intuition. That's when you roll you roll for in, uh, initiative. So you roll for initiative and you get a D4, by the way, or your in intuition die or you make a wisdom perception check to notice a threat. So it's specific. It's a wisdom perception check to notice a threat. You can roll an intuition die and add a d4. Uh, that's pretty pretty great, actually, um, mechanically. And it makes sense, too, right? Like, you act fast. Mm -hmm. But, man, that d4 for initiative, when you're in a game that has a lot of, to do with, like, you know, throwing down, mm -hmm. like, it's pretty great for a rogue in a lot of ways, too. Um, then you have Sentinel's Shield. So you know the cantrip blade ward, who cares? Like, Blade Ward's actually not that great of a spell. Um, 
but you can cast shield once with this trait and regain the ability to do so after you finish a short or a long rest. Uh, Sean, what do you think about that? Um, just, I hadn't read this one yet. Uh, just on first glance, it seems very powerful because it's, you're replacing, it says these traits replace the human ability score increase trait. Yes. So does that mean you get all the other stuff that humans normally get as well? Oh, what else, what else do humans get? Uh, okay, I'm, I'm thinking of the variant human where you get a feat. Um, no, you don't, you don't get that. So, so as, as a human, right, you just get a plus one to all your abilities. Yes. Basically. So, this one's, um, so this one's giving you all this so, stuff well, and still giving you pl- three plus ones. Three plus ones plus a D4... On to initiative. To perception checks, which are very only very Only important. when noticing a threat, though. Only, yeah, but still, that's when it's most important, usually, whether you're surprised or not. It's true. It's not going to do anything um, for you when you're investigating, though. No blade ward and cast shield once with this trait. That's that's strong. It is strong. And I'm not even done yet. Oh, okay. We're, we're just, okay. Yep. So, and then... Uh, the last part of that is Vigilant Guardian. As an action, you can designate an ally that you can see as your ward. You have an advantage on Wisdom Insight and Wisdom Perception checks made to spot threats to your ward. In addition, when you are within five feet of your ward, and that creature is the target of an attack that you can see, you can use your reaction to swap places with your ward. When you do, you become the target of the attack. Oh, yeah, that's way too much. Holy moly. You could do a lot of stuff with that. Yeah, I mean... Any one of those things is powerful. You know, Sentinel's Intuition is powerful on its own. Sentinel's Shield is powerful on its own. Vigilant Guardian. Uh, you have advantage on Wisdom, Perception checks to spot threats to your ward. So not only... So you're in a party. You're marching through the jungle. Not only do you get a D4 bonus to your Perception check to spot a threat, but you also get advantage on the check... Because your ward is also threatened by these goblins hiding in the jungle, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that needs to be cut down dramatically. It's a it's a lot. There's a lot of stuff yes. there. It's probably there, it's there probably is. the best mark in, in that that exists right now. Yeah. Um, the best. I wouldn't say best, most powerful. Yes, <laughs> I, uh, is is the most powerful mark in the game right now. Go. It's really good if you're playing with feats and um, you take the, uh, you combine this with like some other things. It, it, mm-hmm. there, there's it's a it's a good defender mark, right? Like it's very flavorful. It works really well with all the stuff, but it's it's a lot. There's a lot going on here. The fact mm-hmm. that you get bonuses to initiative, you can cast shield once. You can do the swap thing and cast shield, so you, it's hard to hit you. Assuming you're playing a fighter type, like it's, there's a lot of good stuff going on here. If you're a House Denneth character, mm-hmm. um, it's it's really those per, those wisdom perception check things. I mean, it's to notice a threat, but then that leaves it up to interpretation, right? right? Like what constitutes a threat? Like I'm pretty sure I know the feel that they're going for. They're going for the bodyguard feel, right? Sure. Um, and also the the sentinel feel. So all that stuff is there. Um, but man, like there are some. There are some ways to get some pretty uh, potent potent modifiers and whatnot with this. Now, on the bright side, what this doesn't do is it doesn't give anybody a bonus to their passive perception. <laughs> right. So that's at least a positive thing, right? 
So yeah. So yeah. depending on how you're playing, right? Like right. Depending on if your DM uses passive perception a lot mm-hmm. or not. And I also I'm reading the ability score increase again, and it says your strength and wisdom scores both increase by one. Yep. In addition, one ability score of your choice increases by one, which technically means you could add another to your strength or wisdom. Yes. You can. So that's that's even crazier. Yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty potent, right? Like it's yeah, it's, it's a little more yeah. potent than in my opinion than some of the um other uh when I compare these things, I compare them to the other r- racial things like elf or halfling, things right. like that, because that's what it's it's kind of what it's modeling itself off after in, in a lot of ways. So there's um there's a lot going on there that's that's really good. Mhm. Uh, so, well, let's, why don't you tell me about House Gal- Galandra, right? Yep, House Galandra's Mark of Hospitality. So this is the innkeepers and the tavern owners. Uh, when you take this sub-race of Halfling, you get to increase your charisma score by one. You know the cantrips Friends and Prestidigitation. Uh, you use charisma to, to cast those. So here we're, 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 combi- we're combi- uh, comparing... <laughs> Shield and Blade Ward to Friends and Prestidigitation. Well, Blade Ward's um, garbage, okay? Okay, well, yeah. I mean, you, um, you get, I think you take half damage from, like, slashing and, from, like, slashing weapons or whatever. Um, but you ha- it costs you an action to cast it. So it's not like you could do okay. that and something else. Gotcha. Um, and then, so that was Innkeeper's Charm, those uh, cantrips, Friends and Prestidigitation. Uh, the Ever Hospitable... Ability when you make a persuasion check or an ability check involving brewer supplies or cooks utensils, you get to roll that intuition die and add the number. So as you know, as opposed to <laughs> perception checks and initiative, you get your persuasion, brewer supplies, and cooking utensils. Well, here um, I've made. I've made nothing but amazingly good use out of things like prestidigitation constantly. So being a being some sort of character that has prestidigitation at my disposal makes me instantly like super happy, right? Like to mm-hmm. as a character. Um this mark is also completely for diplomacy. Like oh, yeah. this this is this yeah. is your face character, right? This actually makes your face character really powerful. It does. Friends is a, you know, is a is a very powerful cantrip. There's no doubt about mm-hmm. it. Plus, you get that that D four to any charisma persuasion any persuasion check, right? Yep. So like, that's 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 a lot um, for face characters. But it's also and yep. remember this one is also a subclass, so or a subrace. So subrace, it's yeah. never going to be as powerful as the mark the other marks that we're talking about. Like you compare you sh- when 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 looking these over, I was always comparing these ones to like this one. I compared to the House Jurassic one because they're they're both like filling the same niche, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and if you really like, I think it's pretty good. I think this actually is a pretty decent market. It, it's very flavorful. It gives you some cool stuff. No, I agree. And I think if you're running, especially if you're running a more, um, you know, role playing heavy interaction, heavy campaign, this is, this is, you know, great, a great class. Um, I think everything now will, will pale to me in comparison to the, uh, to the mark of the sentinel, so yeah. I have to uh, I have to re- reset my focus here. Um, well, can we talk about two more then? Sure. All right, because I want to I, I want to talk about what I think is the worst of the uh, the ones that re- replace the 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 sub races, which is the mark okay. of warding. So the, okay. the mark of warding is House Kunderark. That's the the, the banks. Then mm-hmm. there it's the dwarf one. So 
uh, that one is like your dexterity and your intel- intelligence score increase by one. Um, you get master of locks. So when you make an intelligence history, intelligence investigation, or thieves tools check involving lock and trap mechanisms, so it's very specific to lock and trap mechanisms, mm-hmm. but that's only for the thieves tool check. Um, you mm-hmm. can roll one intuition die and add that number to the ability check. Uh, I'm not super, like, th- since there's constantly the argument whether it's, you know, perception or investigation for things, like, that's like mm-hmm. a garbage one <laughs> compared to everything else. Right. Like, it's not nearly as good as ever hospitable, right? <laughs> because right. Of, because right. of charisma persuasion? <laughs> Um, even in even in what I'm considering an Eberron campaign, like I'm not even going off of the classic what people think of as D and D thing, right? Like, mm-hmm. to me, this is more about intrigue and social social maneuvering, and also like investigation and things like that. Like, maybe this is good if you're if you have like an investigative situation, but like maybe mm-hmm. not, depending on how your game master is going to rule how investigation works. Right. So like that's a thing, and then wards and seals. You can use your mark to cast the alarm spell as a ritual. And then starting at third level, you can use Arcane Lock once at this trait and regain your the ability to do so when you finish a short or a long rest. Intelligence is your spellcasting ability for these spells. Mm. Well, then. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, it would have to be a very specific kind of adventure for those to come into play regularly. Yeah, I mean, they got flavor behind them, but they don't really have mm. a whole lot of, like, use to them as far as, like wide use right like yeah the the galandra one galanda one charisma persuasion checks and like being able Mm -hmm. to cast friends and prestidigitation always better to me than than that because prestidigitation's got a lot of flexibility to it so you can have a lot of fun with it right like yeah there's a lot of stuff there um also you can clean things which is really why it's there i think uh Mm -hmm. and then the the healing touch ability from house jurasco is is really quite good Mm -hmm. so I don't know. That's that's not not so great. Yeah, it's yeah. I definitely agree. And again, compared, even though we're comparing, you know, oranges to tangerines uh, with with the other with the mark of the sentinel, um, that's those are really damn good tangerines. Yeah, right. Here, let's talk about the the mark of making real fast. Then, so that's my other favorite one, House Caneth. Okay. All right, so your ability score increases. Same deal. You're going to get a plus one to your int and dex, and then you're going to increase either your intelligence or your dexterity by an additional one point. Um, a little less mm-hmm. flexibility, but a little bit more um, focus to what the house actually is all about. Mm-hmm. Uh, artist intuition. When you make an ability check with artisan tools, add, uh, roll 1d4 and add it to the results. That's it for the, for the d4. Mm-hmm. Just throwing that out there yeah. compared to initiative. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Right. Yep. Okay. Um, maker's gift. You know the cantrip mending and gain proficiency with one type of artisan's tools. It's okay. Eh? I mean, it's it's themey, right? I, I think it's flavorful. Right. I, I mean, I still like yeah. all the stuff that's going on right now. Um, here's the meat of it: the, the things that you actually get. Uh, Magecraft. You can create a temporary magic item out of common materials. Choose a cantrip from the wizard spell list. Describe the item connected to it. As long as you possess the item, you know that cantrip. At the end of a long rest, you can replace it with a new item and select a new cantrip from the wizard's spell list. Intelligence is your spellcasting ability for these cantrips. For the, this, the, It says these cantrips. It should be this cantrip. Right. Um, that's pretty cool. I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, you can actually yeah. make a cold gun if you want for a ray of, a ray of frost. Yeah. Or, that's neat. Yeah, there's a bunch of things. You can make an acid gun, whatever. The, you can make a light stick, you know, for light. Whatever mm-hmm. you want to make. 
Um, and then the last thing is, is Spellsmith. You can spend one minute to weave a temporary enchantment into a magical suit of armor or weapon. For the next hour, the object becomes a magic item, gaining a plus one bonus to AC if it is armor, or a plus one bonus to hit and damage if it is a weapon. Once you use this trait, you can't use it again until you finish a long rest. That's also pretty good. That is cool. It needs to it needs to come right out and say whether this item is now magical or not. It, it does. Um, the, because... the, the object becomes a magic item. Okay, there you go. Yeah, it's, it says okay, it right in cool. the description. It's a magic item. Yeah. Okay. So that makes it that makes it useful, yep. right? Because then it can overcome some certain things that, that pop up in the some game. Some resistances. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's really, yep. especially at lower levels, like in that first to fourth level situation, like it's very useful. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's good. I think it's good. It's not House Denneth. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. No, but, you know, I, I can I can forgive then the artisan tools, um, you know, just being the only thing you get to add your intuition die for because that's some that's some heavy duty stuff with both magecraft and spellsmith. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm like because you have that design philosophy too. Like, you should make your thing, make sure it's themey without being broken, right? Right. Yeah, and, and by broken we mean making it too too much or too right. little. If, if it's the obvious choice for even the most you know un um, unoptimizing player and it's like i have to take this because it's ridiculous not to uh then then that's broken yeah uh and broken as in like not balanced against the other stuff that is similar to it yep exactly yeah uh that mark of the sentinel like that's why i brought it up because i i love it i love that house and i'm like wow there's a lot of good stuff going on here right yeah i was reading through them and i didn't get past to the s's so thank you for bringing that oh, up no problem i uh it's a thing. It's totally a yeah, thing. Yeah, it's it's okay, and and that's why this is in PDF form, and you know it's put out as an unearthed Arcana playtest document. But uh, so that's our our initial that's our look at Dragon Marks, right? Like all mm-hmm. all the other Dragon Marks generally follow some format of what we just talked about. Um, right there, we we talked about now two of the ones that replaced the the human race. And we talked about three of the ones that replace sub races, and you can see how they're they're different, and you can see how the designs um, pop up. They they are all generally pretty themey. Uh, they they do a really good job of, of modeling the theme. Some of them are providing abilities and whatnot that are a little bit beyond uh, what might what they might be trying to intend to, to provide. Mm-hmm. And just to be clear, I think on the first two aspects that I'm always looking at, which is is it cool, and it does it fit theme thematically, it. it all of these hit them very, very well. Well, I think uh, I think the dwarves got the short stick here. Well, you know, just in terms of power, that third thing, which is, does it work mechanically and does it fit into, you know, the overall rules scheme? That's where it's the hardest to do. Well, you were talking and about I, is it what is it is it themey and is it is it is it cool, right? Isn't that what you said? Yeah, is it is it right? Does it? Is it elegant? Is I guess is what I'm trying to yeah, say. Yeah, because because me is like, is it themey? Is it cool? Right? Like like the mark of warding. It's totally themey. It's not really that cool. Like there's nothing fun about it to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That's my com- that's it's, my complaint. Th- that's about kind it. of that the gray area between two and three. You know, it's the gray area between is it does it fit and is it cool to to play on. You know, over and over again through throughout a campaign. Yeah, 
And, you know, it, it could definitely use a little work there. But for the most part, theme-wise, all of these fit very well. Can I, uh, can I talk about the one thing that they sort of imply in, in this section of the rules text, but they don't actually come out and say it, and it's the thing that I would do in all of my games? Do it. So they talk about these marks, and they talk about how they're tied to these houses. But as you all just heard, like, th- the marks mechanically only do these things that we just talked about. But they sort of imply that these marks also, like, do other things in the houses. So, like, if your house Lyrander, like, maybe you can't actually fly a ship unless you have a Lyrander mark, right? Like, the, the mark is what actually activates the ship. Like, there are certain mm-hmm. things and whatnot that you can utilize as for these marks that are tied to the houses. So, like, it's really hard... Then you can start doing things like, well, you want to break in to do some corporate espionage on one of the houses, but you can't do that unless you have a dragon mark. Like, well, we can go. I mean, they 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 uh, they 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 kind of die after this, but like you can go and like cut the skin off of somebody that has a dragon mark. Of course, that dragon mark will grow, grow back on them at some point. But like, as long as you have that, and then you touch it to them, at least within the first hour that you have it, like it'll actually open up things or uh, make make whatever react react, or like just make sure you have somebody with that dragon mark that can do the thing for you so that it'll open up a react and, and such. So it's like an ocular um, scanner or things like that. I was just thinking that you cut the eye out of the yeah. uh, security guard yeah. to use the, yeah. But like you can do a lot of cool stuff like that. Like objects only react to people who have the marks. Mm-hmm. So if you have people in your games that have these marks, you can do that stuff. It's, it's, it's hinted at, but it's not come out. They don't come out and just say it, but I think that's gotcha. a really cool feature because like house Kenneth, they, not that they're supposed to. They have those. Um, they have the Warforge forges, but right. how do they operate them? Who operates them? How how do they function? Like maybe you, if maybe you need a mark to fu- make them one of them function. That may that's part of the part of the secret sauce, right? Right. So that's a yep. that's cool cool things to think about. Sure. When running your uh, your your Eberron games with dragon marks. I don't know. What do you think about that? I think that we've covered Dragon Marks pretty thoroughly. All right. Well, then let's get out of here. So I wanted to say thank you, everyone out there, for listening and do a few Patreon shoutouts. Uh, James Sweetland, Gem Pixelscape Scange, JJ Lanza, Brandon Barnes, Blake Ryan, Batman, Zach Goins from A Bite of D&D, Troy Sandlin, Corey Johnston, Will Doyle, the Mad Wizard Marin himself, who patrons us even because he's crazy, um, Avi Waxberg. I think I said it right that time. I usually screw it up. Cindy Moore, uh, F.E. Madison, The Suicide Pixie, Andrew Dacey, Miko Froelich, Tabletop Gaming Gills, Kevin Minorzak, The Old School DM, Randy Farmer, uh, Chris Constantine, Eric Mengi, the, the man who helped uh, with a lot of the Moonshade Isles stuff, and Eric Simon. Mm-hmm. And speaking of patrons, if you'd like to be a patron of Down With D&D, you can click on the link to our Patreon page on the website, and for $2 a month, you can get yourself a shout-out. Or for $4 a month, you not only get that shout-out, but you also get to see our pre-production show notes and access to our Slack room for life. If you can't help us monetarily, but you want to give us a boost, you can do so with an Apple Podcast review. Those help, even if you're not listening via Apple Podcasts, because other podcatchers use Apple Podcasts to rate and rank shows, and that helps make us more visible, as does spreading the word on your social media outlets. Absolutely. Please retweet and Facebook and G-plus us all over the place. So, Sean, where can we find you on the Internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Sean Merwin or on the Downwind D&D G Plus community. How about you, Chris? Uh, you can hit me up at Misdirected Mark. That is the network Twitter and the sh- the, uh, this show's Twitter in a lot of ways, too. Uh, and you can also go to the website where you can catch other great shows such as this one, Pandas Talking Games. Phil and Senda answer your questions about RPGs from the perspective of one-shots and campaigns with some panda silliness. 
Down with D&D is a misdirected Mark production, the media arm of Encoded Designs. So, Sean, what are we going to do now? We're going to try to go kill some Mark of Sentinel creatures, but we probably won't be able to hit them. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know me.